This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 202. Hey everyone, before we get into this podcast, I have a guest for you this week. I just wanted to say a little hello and also let you know that there's open spots for my free coaching in the next couple of weeks before the holidays. I'd love for you to grab a spot, check it out before the new year starts because I know that you all have all these resolutions that you want to work on and it's really helpful to have a coach to get you through all that, help you sort out your goals and anything else that you're worried about, that you're stressed about, I'm telling you, having a coach will help you sort it all out. So get on my calendar in the next few weeks, even after the new year, if you are feeling too overwhelmed with what's going on in the next few weeks and get on there, have a little coaching session with me, see what it's all about and um, see if you like it. The other thing I'd love for you to do is get on my email list. It's for my Wednesday weekly words that I send out every Wednesday morning for you. And it'll just be a little email, usually pretty quick to read, less than a five minute read, I would say. And um, it's all free. So just go to my website, juliecapel.com or veterinarylifecoach.com. Both of those will get you there. And if you have anything that you want to ask or suggest for the podcast or anything else, you can email me at jacapelldvm at gmail.com. So enjoy this podcast with Dr. Jesse Sanders. You'll learn a little bit about fish medicine, which is super fun. So let's get started. Hey friends, welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today I have a very exciting and special guest for you. Her name is Dr. Jessie Sanders and she is the owner and chief veterinarian of Aquatic Veterinary Services. She received her veterinary degree from Tufts University and she was the 2020 president of the American Association of Fish Veterinarians and she is the private practice chair of the Aquatic Veterinary Medicine Committee of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse. I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I, I just, I don't, I don't think I know any fish vets. No, there are not that many of us. And I mean, it's not really a skill that we're taught in veterinary school. It's no. not part of the standard. Um, so a lot of veterinarians, you know, go through their entire training, never realizing that aquatics is actually a bigger part of veterinary medicine than I think a lot of people give it credit for. Yeah, I'm excited to learn about it because we just met. So I'll be learning along with everyone else. So can you kind of start with your veterinary journey? I, I like to hear everybody's story because we all have a story about how we got into vet med and how we ended up where we are. Yeah, so I was one of those obnoxious children that always knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. Yep. I would get a pet care book to my, my school library and recite them by memory to my parents, trying to, you know, pressure them into getting me a little kitten. And after years, they finally relented. And I did all the things, you know, the, book, the books tell you to back then. Um, I ended up getting my veterinary assistant certificate when I was still in high school which, wow. you know, being really not allowed too much, 
Um, But when I was in, I watched the surgery and passed out, which I thought at the time was from seeing blood. So, you know, that kind of tweaked my thought of, oh, is this something that I really want? So I kind of got off veterinary medicine for a while. Um, I ended up going to uh, college for marine biology. So I went to the University of and had the wonderful opportunity to volunteer at Mystic Aquarium that's in Connecticut. So I really wanted to be on the whale team, which, you know, every little kid wants to play with marine mammals. And I get it. So I know dolphin training. That's I hear that a lot. It would be so fun to be a dolphin trainer. (laughs) I think a lot of people go through. Um, So there weren't any openings on the whale team, but they're like, if you volunteer in a different department, they're more likely to bring you in to that one, you know, after you build up some experience. So they put me on the fish and invertebrate team, which if you've never been to Mystic Aquarium, uh, they have a pretty sizable collection. And I'd gone there as a kid and was fascinated by all the different fish they had. They had sharks and this, you know, relatively small, now that I look back on it, um, tank. So, you know, first, you know, couple months, like, well, this kid keeps showing up halfway through our lunchtime. Like we got to give her something to do where she's out of the way. (laughs) So they had a backup octopus tank because in major aquariums, you know, you have your key exhibits that people expect to see. And unfortunately with the octopuses, they don't have the longest lifespan. So Mm -hmm. just in case, essentially the floor model, there's one in the back that they can quickly swap in. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. I know. So it oh, was. Who knew? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I, this is like what I learned on my first couple of weeks. So, my job was to clean the backup octopus tank that's like in this back, dark corner, um, away from the public eye. And I had a little octopus friend whose name was Squirt. So, Squid was in the front tank, Squirt was in the back. And I had this big gravel siphon that would go along the bottom, and I just slowly pick up all the leftover food all the poop. If there was any like Squirt decided to rearrange some things, I'd put everything back. And Squirt would grab onto my little gravel siphon and just kind of hop around with me while I was cleaning. And it was great. It was so much fun just, you know, hanging out with this octopus and cleaning up his tank. So after that, once everybody came back from lunch, um, we do food prep, which is a big part in aquariums is, you know, prepping the food for Umpteen thousand animals from down to like the tiniest little mice and shrimp up to, you know, big pieces of fish for the sharks, for the rays. And again, you know, being a beginner there, it was just, you know, keeping you in the, keeping you one spot, giving you a task. <laughs> keeping you out of trouble. Yes. Um, and slowly I just, I wanted to learn more and more. And I harassed their staff to no end. And I got to do projects like doing um shark physicals i mean so they had like six foot that's sand super tiger cool sharks. i know these six foot sand tiger sharks that need a physical exam like how do you how do you give a six foot sand tiger shark a physical i mean i i wasn't directly involved i was in the back like taking notes but i got to watch everything and it was just so fascinating that i ended that's up so doing cool. two internships with them. Um, One was part of my senior honors thesis at URI doing the nutritional value of 
freshly hatched sea monkeys, which is used as a food source for various invertebrates. So now tell me, are those the are those the sea monkeys? Because I'm old. Are they the ones that they used to advertise that you could buy and you put them in water and they like turn into little creatures? <laughs> yes. I always so, wanted to buy those when I was a kid. <laughs> So yeah, so we have them at different stages of the aquarium and they were always wondering like, is it better to feed them, you know, when they're freshly hatched versus do we let them like bulk up a little bit? Does that like provide a different nutritional profile? And I was actually able to prove that, you know, the freshly hatched ones actually had the most nutrition because they're born with this little yolk sac. Uh -huh. And if you let them kind of use that up, it's not well converted into you know, overall nutritional value. So if you feed them when they're young, when that yolk sac hasn't been absorbed, it actually will pass that nutrition on to whatever you're feeding it to. That's pretty cool. So, I know in this paper, I, I published it back in college. It's still downloaded every day. Um, <laughs> so you were on to something with the sea monkeys. I know. So it, it really just astonishing to me that, you know, I graduated. Oh, dear goodness. I got to think back. 2008. Um, so this, this study is still being useful to people. But anyway, I'd, I'd harass the, the fish and invertebrate staff to no end. And they're like, you might want to talk to the veterinarians about like what they do. So talk to them. They gave me a couple more projects and they kind of put me back on the path to going to veterinary school. So in that time frame, I'd actually figured out that I didn't pass out because of the blood. I actually just have low blood pressure issues. Um, I'm, I'm the one who can't tell when I'm sitting down, obviously. Um, I'm, one of my doctors kind of put it as like a horse. Um, my blood pressure is just super low. So when and I'm standing for long yeah, I get orthostatic hypotension. So that's why I'd say it's like dealing with the after I'd like taken care of that, I didn't have any problems with that anymore. Awesome. Yeah. So I applied to veterinary school thinking I would be an aquarium veterinarian, which unfortunately the jobs are few and far between. They're highly competitive. Usually they require an internship and sometimes a residency. And if you want to do a zoo or aquarium residency, there's currently three in the country. Wow. Um, so super hard to get into. And I was not the greatest veterinary student. Um, I had a hard time kind of keeping up with the stuff that I wasn't as into. So I like, you know, the fish, the exotic stuff, horses and cows, you know, bored me to no end, unfortunately, which is a big part of the curriculum. I struggled quite a bit in veterinary school and made it to my fourth year. And I know I planned out all my externships. I was going to SeaWorld, Marine Mammal Center. I went back to Mystic as an extern, which was fascinating. But I also had time to work with a veterinarian who I'd met at a program called Aquavet um, that's run in the summer. It's four weeks of all sorts of aquatic med, starting with invertebrates through fish, all the way through marine mammals. So Dr. Helen Sweeney had come to teach us about fish surgery. Which now in, I actually in vet school. In vet school, you had a lecture on fish surgery because we didn't have that when I was in vet school. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so this was at that Aquavet program that was a summer oh, program okay. that I took between. I want to say it was between my second and third year of vet school. Um, and as part of the veterinary 
you know, your training fourth year is you have to go do a couple weeks of private practice, which is one of the things that a lot of people in veterinary school are not that familiar with unless you've worked in a clinic prior. So I talked to Dr. Sweeney. She has a small animal exotics and fish clinic out of Buffalo, New York, of all places. So I went up there hoping to see some fish, but I was floored by the way that she ran her practice, how she worked with her clients, how she worked with her patients. And it was just the most, the chillest, most awe-inspiring two weeks in my veterinary teaching curriculum and kind of made me fall in love with veterinary medicine all over again. Nice. So that kind of pulled me off the path of kind of the aquarium position. And I thought more kind of going into the private practice was a better fit for just me as a person. After veterinary school, the thought of doing an internship or a residency was a little overwhelming. scary, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the one nice thing about veterinary medicine is you can just go straight to private practice the day that you graduate. So my sister is a human surgeon. So it's fun to compare because she, you don't get that when you're in human. Right. It takes, it takes a long time to become a surgeon, right? Yeah. And they, oh, they yeah. Think you you just in vet school and you're, you're out there cutting things, right? Exactly. <laughs> but nicer. Um, so I moved from New England. Um, I was born in Connecticut, went to my undergraduate in Rhode Island and then vet school in Massachusetts. And I just wanted something different. So I had some family out here in California and went around looking for a private practice job where, you know, I could do small animal exotics and fish, which you think for a lot of clinicians would be like, hey, we can, you know, increase our offerings, increase our revenues and absolutely zero. Well, I got one really sad offer, but (laughs) it wasn't really what I was looking for. So looking around at the area that I was in, um, I am currently based out of Santa Cruz, California. Um, in San Jose, at the time I started my practice, there were five different vendors that were importing koi specifically from Japan into the state to sell to, you know, the general public. So there are a ton of fish in this area of California. Coming in. And and that's just come, then that's like being brought in. That doesn't include any fish that are already already here. Or those right, that, are that in. people it, own. Yeah. Yeah. So I went ahead and just took, took the leap. It's one of those things I've always told myself, like, this is just what I was put on this earth to do is to take care of fish. So I started my own practice in March of 2013. So we're going to be having our 10 year anniversary next March. And we are, you know, I've I've been involved with collecting all the stats from various fish veterinarians, you know, all over the country and the world. And we are, you know, one of the most profitable, most long-standing vet practices that cater specifically to pet fish in the country right now. Something I have to, you know, continue to tell myself, like, yes, we know what we're doing. Yes, we've made this a success. And I want to pass that, you know, kind of thinking onto other veterinarians. That yeah, that attitude. Is- like that's a really that's a really good lesson for people. It's like, look, this is your passion. And so you turned it into a, a profitable, thriving business, which is amazing. And there's so many pet fish out there that could be dramatically impacted 
by proper veterinary care. And a lot of veterinarians are just scared to work with them because they don't know, they don't know what to do. Like a fish is coming into your practice. Like, how do you give it a physical exam? How do you do any diagnostics? Like a lot of veterinarians are just so overwhelmed by that, that they kind of just freeze up a little bit and say, oh no, we're not going to deal with that. Like go, go to the pet store or go read something on the internet. Well, yeah. I know in my area, there are, well, I shouldn't say I know because I could be wrong, but um, I don't know of any people that practice on fish. I had a really good friend in college that went through Michigan State for fisheries and wildlife, and he was the only person I knew that knew everything about fish. So we would go to the pet stores and vet school, and he would tell me like all the all the proper names and what kind of fish and his whole house was full of tanks. And it, he was a really fascinating individual. And he ended up working for an aquarium once he got out of school. Um, they didn't have a veterinarian. He kind of was it, but he went through school, not as a veterinarian, but a, as a fisheries. And so, you know, he's the only one that I could ever call when someone called about a fish and say, I have no idea, call him, you know, he knows, but it's fascinating that there's that many not only fish that need a veterinarian, but a, a number of fish vets. Yeah, we're we're slowly building up our numbers. Um, so the American Association of Fish Veterinarians was actually founded in 2012, the same year that I graduated oh, veterinary. So it's new. Did that have anything to do with you? Um, yeah, so again, I've been with that. I was there, they're 2020, I'm unfortunately their COVID president. So it's it kind of limited. <laughs> Together. Um, but we started, you know, a small collection of maybe 40, 50 veterinarians, and now we're up over 200. Um, we just had our first ever standalone conference in Florida where we had over 100 attendees. Um, I gave two lectures one on diagnostic imaging and, you know, the marketing behind my fish practice. And then we actually did a fish surgery lab for students and veterinarians that, you know, wanted to learn how you take the skills of, okay, we're going to do a spare neuter on a dog or a cat. This is how you do it in a fish. And it's almost identical, the procedure itself. I mean, obviously the anesthesia is a little bit different. different and you have yeah. to have, but if you can do a spare neuter on a dog or cat, you can absolutely do it on a fish. Um, uh, it's, it's one of those things that you just got to do it once and then, oh, this all makes sense. Like, this is something I can do. I just needed someone to, you know, give me the little push to make that happen. And yeah, and, and give you the confidence that it's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. So for the 10, for the 10 years that you've been in practice or with your own practice, what are kind of some of the lessons that you've learned from that endeavor? Cause you started from scratch, right? Yeah. Um, uh, thankfully, I had Dr. Dr. Sweeney was able to at least give me the basics of, you know, you need this equipment. She gave me kind of a rough pricing structure. Um, and that was pretty much all that I started with. Um, thankfully, I had my dad who actually started his own company in hydrographic software of all things. So not anything really related, but he's given, you know, the basics of, you know, you need a business plan, you need to find a bank, you need to have an accountant, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and when I was coming out of that school, you know, I had a little bit of extra training, but I never actually, you know, worked in private practice before. So, I mean, 
it was essentially trial by fire, which I know a lot of veterinarians, it's not just how they're programmed. For me, it's just what I had to do. And I think going out there and just starting to see cases, I learned a lot faster than kind of having someone holding my hand throughout all of that. And I mean, I'm sure I screwed up a lot of cases when I first got going um, and was not charging appropriately. Um, That was one of the biggest issues that we continue to struggle with is just because it's a fish, you know, people will undervalue that as a client, as a patient. So, I mean, the skills that I have were like equivalent to having, you know, an orthopedic specialist come work on your animal. And that is, a, you know, a, a very high price tag item. So, right. Doesn't matter how much the fish costs, right? It's the same thing with our pets. Like you have a cat that you found on the corner and something happens to it. You still got to pay the big bucks to get it looked at, right? I think we forget that as vets. We think, oh, it's just a fish or, oh, it's just a hamster. Like I, cause I do exotics and somebody brings in a, you know, $10 hamster and you feel bad cause you want to charge them, you know, $300 for a surgery, but it's, um, it's, it's a kind of a mind shift that you've got to get away from is that thinking they're not worth something just because they didn't cost a lot. Yeah. So that, that's something that I know our practice has struggled with this entire time. So it's something that we've gotten better at. And, you know, I'll pull up, we, we had just had our, our annual meeting. Um, I have two wonderful uh, practice managers and we actually have a subcontractor down in Southern California who does work with us. So we all had our big annual meeting um, a couple of weeks ago. And I pulled up one of the invoices that, you know, was within my first year of getting going compared to what we charge now. To do now. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I know my skills have improved a little bit, but not that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so having that kind of retrospective, like this is where we started from, but this is where we're at now. And especially with my lecture that I gave at the Fishback Conference a couple of weeks ago, I want people to start, you know, at the level that we're at now, not back where I was 10 years ago and have to, you know, catch up to the point where we are now. I want them to skip, skip that start, step, essentially. Start start with the big bucks, right? <laughs> yeah. It undervalues doing if you don't charge. Like the owners just don't think that you know what you're doing. And unfortunately, it just makes things a lot harder, especially if you want to you know persist in that. They're going to always remember like the, you know, brand new veterinarian who didn't know what the heck she was doing and just kind of undercharged. But on purpose, yeah. like because of the self-confidence piece. So So let's talk about that a little bit. You told me that you weren't the best veterinary student, which I hear a lot in my coaching practice. I wasn't a good student. I struggled, blah, 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 blah. Like I hear that a lot and I thought it a lot about myself. So let's talk about that. Like, how did you overcome that way of thinking? Where do you think it changed for you to go from, I'm not that great of a vet student to now I'm a, I'm going to be a business owner. Like, how do you make that mind shift? And, and what are all the reasons? Like what, what advice can we give about that? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone goes through the veterinary, you know, the match process, and then they rank all the students one to 63 <laughs> in my case, and you're looking at three in my class. Yeah. But even when I, graduate after working with Dr. Sweeney like I knew that I wasn't going to be going down any traditional path like I knew that 
I was going to make it work with fish somehow. Regardless, because that was your love. Yes. And when I started my practice, I really kind of kind of saw the response of the other fish veterinarians and the other clients. Um, it really kind of just kind of pushed me to take this as far as I can. Um, I mean, I listened to your, your, your podcast with all those other limiting beliefs of, oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I don't know that much. I do not have that problem at all. <laughs> I know that I'm an amazing fish veterinarian, and I know that our practice is worthwhile. So, again, when I was starting out, and I just maybe I don't remember really feeling like that. But, again, now this is the 10-year retrospective. And looking back at, you know, what I started with, um, everybody, I mean, I'm sure they didn't tell me to my face, but I'm sure a lot of people thought I was completely nuts. Probably, doing a- right? Because they were like, you just got out of school. What do you know? You're starting to bit like, they probably did think that. Yeah. And especially in all pet fish aquatic practice. Yeah, um, how are you going to make a living at that? Yeah. There are others that have been attempted and they've kind of shifted out of it after a couple years. Um again, since I now have the 10-year kind of perspective on things, I'm one of the rare ones who's actually made it past, you know, it's about that eight-year cut, it seems, where everybody's just like, nope, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Um, for me, it's been the support of other veterinarians. So when I kind of reached that point, is like, is this really what I want to keep doing? I reached out to those other veterinarians who, you know, passed that mark and have made their careers in fish for, for decades. And they were really able to set me kind of back on the path of yes this is what I want and I have thankfully I have a wonderful practice manager who takes a lot of the kind of minutia off my plate of you know talking to the clients getting them set up taking all those random calls from people who you know might be just looking for some free advice they're not going to bring their fish in because they don't want to spend the money but they want you to tell them what to put in the tank or whatever (laughs) So I worked with her. She's been with me for eight years and she's just fantastic. And her and I work really well together as a team and having her support. And again, the support from my other colleagues, just that's, that's the reason why I am still here and going. And thankfully I have a wonderful husband and family that are behind me, even though they don't maybe quite understand all the time what I'm doing. And I still get questions from my client, from my, so I have some other colleagues, they're like, are you still making medicine, like money doing this? Like, are you, are you doing okay? And I'm like, yes, yes yeah, we're doing just. Isn't it fascinating that they're so worried about that? It's like, I, that's what I tell some of the people that I coach. It's like, why do you care if they are worried about it? Like, you know what you're doing. You love it. Your focus. This is your passion. Like, why do we care so much about what other people think? And it was like, when I started life coaching, People are like, you're going to do what? You're going to become a what? I'm like a life coach. What is that? You know, like I got a lot of attitude about that. It was like, they kind of looked down on me. I'm like, no, this is cool. This is really cool. Like, I'm going to learn how to do this and I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to help people by doing it, you know, but people, they, they like to poo poo you, you know, they like to say that's dumb or that's silly, or how's it going to work? Or, you know, you're running a practice. Why do you want to be a life coach? That's dumb. You know? So I think that one of the lessons to take from you and on some level from me is that if you really, really have a passion for something, you can make it work. 
and maybe not overnight. Like it took you a while, right? To get going. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to share, you know, what I learned and the mistakes that I've made. Yeah. I want to pass those on. They don't make those same mistakes. I mean, you might have to make those mistakes. Just that's the way some people learn. And that's Sometimes you fun. do. Yeah. And, it, and that's okay. Like it's okay to make mistakes. That's kind of how it gets us going, right? It, it teaches you the lesson. So then you can take a different step and a better step, right? Yeah. So how did you get to that point where you were like, this is super cool. I want to teach everyone how to be a fish vet. So I think that came on um, after a couple couple years of, of after I, you know, finally got things rolling and was able to have, you know, the, the numbers behind things because people want proof that you're actually making money. Right. And the first couple they want years, to see the books. <laughs> yeah, they want to. So when I was finally, you know, confident that my books weren't going anywhere, um, I'm able to show people, you know, this is how much we charge per client. This is much how we charge for travel. And again, it comes down to knowing that you are worthy of being paid like this because that owner has already called the veterinarian. Like they want, they're, they've already done the hard part of reaching out to you for help. Mm -hmm. So I've heard, I've talked to a lot of students that are all like, yeah, well, we like fish, but there's no job, there's no money. I'm like, hold it right there. Like, there's absolutely money that's outside of, you know, the traditional going into an aquarium, which if you're in, you're probably in for life. But doing the pet side of things, there are so many pet fish out there. I mean, they've done the studies. There's more pet fish than there are cats and dogs. And well, yeah, because if you have fish, you've got a bunch of them, right? Like you don't have 30 yeah. cats, but you might have 30 fish in your tank. So yeah, exactly. the, the numbers make sense. Yeah. And a lot of the owner, the fish owners are already the cat and dog owners. So it's not like you're going out to find more clients. They're the same clients that you already have. Right. So, but again, it comes down to the, I don't know what I'm doing when a fish, you know, a call comes in, a client asks a question. So I put together my website with a lot of just kind of basic resources of if your fish looks like this, like this is what you need to talk to your vet about. Like it comes down to water quality, diet, and a lot of the times the environment that that fish is in. And that's stuff that, you know, it just takes a little research on your part. So once you've, you know, done the basics of fish things, um, I'm trying to offer more classes and more online learning, more in-person sessions where, you know, you come, you try it, you see if it's something that you want to learn more, and then you take the next step from there. So trying to put together, you know, our YouTube videos that have fish surgeries, try to answer, you know, the common questions that we get from the public. And then we have online training programs in um, pet fish specific, um, if any vets students we have that program that's up on our website um, and then we're hoping to ask, offer some live programs in the future where people can actually come and work with me and a couple other fish vets to actually like put hands on a fish which again is one of the things that we're really struggling with right now is just providing opportunities for people to actually put hands on a fish because that's I think that's the way that people just learn and a lot of are able to grasp these concepts a lot easier rather than me just talking at you. Yeah. Well, and I, as you're talking, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking back to when I started working, I wanted to be a bird vet 
And in my state, there was only like one, maybe two in the whole state. And the AAV was kind of relatively new and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big thing, but I really wanted to do it because I've always loved birds. So I had to go to the guy, the, the guy in the state that knew what he was doing and try to, you know, learn all I could. So I think we just have to remember that all of the pet species at some point, you know, back in the 30s, nobody had pet dogs and cats and didn't call the vet, right? And now it's so, it's so changed. Like everybody is, you know, wanting vet care for their pets. And I think the same thing's happening with your fish now. And I think if we remember that, that it all started somewhere, you know, and, and things have grown. Now there's tons of people that see birds in my area, but when I started, there was very few. So it's just kind of that, that evolving of our profession that you're basically spearheading with fish. That's, that's, I mean, that's the example I share with everyone too. You know, back in the day, nobody valued cats and dogs. Right. It was all about the livestock. Yeah. yeah. It was all about the livestock and the farming. And now it's kind of flipped, right? If there's a lot more pet owners than farmers. So yeah, I think to keep that in mind. So what do you think it's about you in particular? Like what qualities? Because you said you're super confident about your practice. You're super confident about your abilities as a fish veterinarian. What about you in particular can another veterinarian that's struggling with their self-esteem and self-worth and those limiting beliefs that this can't be done, what kind of things would you tell them to think about? Yeah, um, that's that's a very good question. Um, I mean, it's always that talk, like, what would you tell your younger self, essentially, when I was, you know, struggling with, oh, is veterinary medicine really the thing for me? And again, when I was little, I knew that I wanted to be a veterinarian. I knew that I wanted to help animals. And just, I mean, I came back to it. It took a little bit of time. So I, again, and I talked to a lot of students who are kind of, you know, on the fence of, is this really something I want to do? And if it's something that interests you, that you want to learn more of, you don't have to make it your entire profession. I mean, that's just, I am the one, you know, kind of. Super You're the exception. <laughs> but there are ways that, you know, if you're working in a small animal clinic that you can still incorporate fish without, you know, going hundred percent full steam all the time. But if it's really like, I'm not, I don't want to say boring or not as thrilling to work with, you know, the cats or dogs versus the fish or, you know, marine mammals, if that's really your passion, there are definitely ways to do that. And it really comes down to talking to other people that are, you know, in that position that you're in, because they're the ones who have done what you want to do successfully. Right. So talking to other um, veterinarians, especially the fish ones that have, again, they've done this for years, like they figured it out. They were really the ones who kind of, you know, kept me on this path rather than me trying to like jump off it just because, you know, it, it's hard. Because it sounds it's hard, hard, right? It sounds hard. But I, I would like to offer that hard things reap big rewards. And that's yeah. what we sometimes forget. It's like, it's hard for a reason because the reward is big. And if you're super passionate about fish and you end up with a successful fish practice, what could be better than that? It, it's pretty awesome. Um, and the other thing with sometimes, I mean, we're all the fish vets are very kind of isolated. Um, I mean, in my area of California, I'm pretty much it. Um, the next closest, you know, fish veterinarian, we have two aquariums. 
But um, the next closest is going to be all the way up in Davis at the University of California, and he's about three hours away. Wow. So he's awesome. Try to, you know, meet up when I'm driving through. So the conference that we just had where it was all the fish veterinarians together was That's just cool. the most awesome, like energy boosting, awe-inspiring. So again, if you're still a student and you have, you know, student pricing on all that, it's really great to kind of immerse yourself with essentially all the weird fish kids and see if this is the group that you fit in with. And again, I'm just a little pet fish. I'm like the sub sub specialty. I mean, there's aquaculture and there's regulatory work. There's uh, department of natural resources. You got the aquarium veterinarians. So aquatics is a very, very large and broad category. So even if you know, you're kind of interested in fish, there might be a way that you can make it work that might not necessarily be pet fish side of things, but it might be aquaculture, it might be teaching. Um, there's really a lot more opportunities when you kind of just start looking outside of, you know, this is what you're taught in veterinary school and this is the way it's always supposed to be. There's so many different categories that I think some veterinary schools don't do the greatest job at exposing veterinarians. Agreed. To, and I don't, I don't know why that is. I mean, when I was at Tufts, we got two hours of fish and our exotic veterinarian left before our clinical rotation. So I didn't even get any exotic rotations, which is right. kind of a bummer. Yeah. But if I can do it with two hours in my veterinary career, I mean, anyone who gets that or more is obviously more qualified than I was when I came out of veterinary school. Right. Well, and I, I would like to remind veterinarians or vet students or wherever you are in your journey, if even if you haven't been to vet school yet, but you're interested, I would, I would encourage you to do that kind of homework where you find the people that are doing the things that you want to do. Because, you know, I've had vet students approach me because they wanted to be a business owner or a bird vet or whatever that I was doing that they were interested in to kind of pick my brain and see what I would recommend. And like, I'm always open to that. And I've been in a management group for, gosh, probably 20 years of hospital owners that get together and talk about their practices. And I learned so much from them. And so I think if we can just be brave enough to reach out to someone, you know, they'll be open to helping you. Like your veterinarian, um, Dr. Sweeney, right? Was open to helping you saying, yeah, this can absolutely be done. You can absolutely have your own practice. Here's how you do it. And I think that we are so caught up in that imposter syndrome or worried that somebody's going to think we're stupid. Like when I first started working for Dr. Evans, who was the bird vet, the, the specialist in my area, I was super intimidated by him because he knew so much more about birds. But what better way to learn is from somebody that knows. And so I think that, you know, just that little bravery piece or that tenacity that you had is something that, you know, you can pull out of yourself, even if it's scary and do it and get you, get you to where you want to be, which is what yeah. you did. Yeah. Doing that first little outreach is the hardest part, but it once is. you do it, I mean, it's been the hardest at the same, at the same time, mm -hmm. but once that step, it'll kind of like, you get a little bit more inspired. You learn a little bit more and then you talk to the next person and the next person. And then you're the person that people are coming to, to talk to about it. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in, um, high school, actually, there was a veterinarian starting opening a practice near me. And she was one of the, you know, first female veterinarians in that area. And I just banged on her door, like I begged her for a job and, until 
I just wanted to learn. I wanted to be a kennel kid and learn how to do all the vet stuff because I knew I wanted to be a vet. And, you know, she's one of my best mentors to this day because she finally broke down and was like, oh, I guess this kid's not going away. I got to give her a job. And, uh, and that's how I got started. And I learned so much from her and she was my mentor all the way through vet school during the summers, I would go work for her. She taught me a lot. And I, had I not been that annoying kid banging on her door when she was opening her practice, I wouldn't have had that. And so I think, you know, if we can just remember back to when we weren't afraid and we weren't embarrassed to be obnoxious, that would help a lot. I've gotten better at being obnoxious down the line. Uh, mostly, well, I think again, as you get older, you grow. <laughs> well, you know yeah. how to be certain, in certain places. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit to people out there that have this idea. Like I had the life coaching thing I thought was cool. You thought the fish thing was cool. And you want to start a business. Like, do you have advice for those people that are like, they've got this great idea. They really want to go into this part of vet med, they really want to own a business. Do you have any advice for those people on where to start and what to do and how to procure that tenacity that you had? So first thing is to do is do something. So (laughs) take a step. I think I just talked about that this week on the podcast, take an action step last week. Um, yeah, it, it's gonna. The, the hardest part is sometimes when you're sharing, you know, how awesome you think an idea is, and somebody's like, "Oh, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that." So share, you know, what you want to do with the people that you trust first, and kind of build up that confidence, and then you can go kind of farm out to the general public. And when they tell you you're crazy, you're like, "Watch me. Watch me do this." <laughs> yeah. It really comes down to just doing anything, doing something, like picking out your clinic name, putting together a website. Um, I use some resources from um, score.org. So it's a small business mentoring program. It's free. It's open to everyone. Um, I met with someone just to help me put together a business plan, which, you know, is the basics of any business, but, you know, putting those little pieces together, you start to think about marketing. You think about, you know, what structure you need as far as scheduling goes. How do you get, you know, your phone number and your bank account and just doing Any little thing is better than just sitting there and doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, because when you start, it's so overwhelming, right? Like this is the way it is with any big goal. It it feels so big that you don't think you know what to do. And so just kind of being like, okay, I just got to take a step. So let me pick the one that I think I can handle or the one that I think is most important. And let me start with that. And then once that's off your plate, then you can start to kind of chip away at it. It's not going to happen overnight, right? Yeah. So it's, you know, whatever law of momentum, like a body in motion stays in motion. Like you just got to start rolling. You just got to, you got to start doing something and then it's easier. And you'll, again, when I was starting my, like there was a whole list of things that I needed to get done. And I looked at this and be like, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. You just put it away because it looks so long, right? You're just like, oh, I can't do that. It's too much. Yeah. But I remember, so what helped me was remembering the experience of working in Dr. Sweeney's practice and being like, this is how I want to be as a veterinarian. And so that was really kind of my, you know, intrinsic, this is what we're going to do. Like that's your vision in order to have a small business, like this is what you got to do. Like there's there's no way around it. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, you had a, you had an idea because of seeing her practice that this is what you wanted. Like, what do you want? 
And that's your vision. And that's, it might be way out there, but if you can keep that in mind, that will help you keep going. I mean, if you're talking to the one unicorn who has a fish only pet, pet fish practice, I mean, anything in veterinary medicine, if it involves an animal, I'm pretty sure you you can make possible. Yeah. If like what, if, what if you were just, um, I don't know, uh, I'll pick sugar gliders because they're like the bane of my existence. What if you wanted to be just a sugar glider vet? Could you make that happen? Yeah, I bet you could. I'm sure you could. Yeah, especially because you said there's. Yeah, I don't love sugar gliders. I'm I'm really I'm really good at treating them and neutering them and all the things, but I don't like them. I just did it because I kind of had to, you know. <laughs> I mean, they're cute. I like I like how cute they are. That's about it. <laughs> there was a specialist sugar glider veterinarian who you know since you're so loved it like here you go Mm -hmm. yeah I would be happy if if I knew somebody that was like really loving them I'd be happy to send them their way so yeah I think I think that's something that we really need to remember is like what do you what are you passionate about what do you love and then how are you going to make it you know how are you going to how are you going to do it and um, I would encourage, like we said before, find somebody that is doing what you're doing and ask them for help. And if they, if they blow you off or shut you down, then go to the next one. Like there's always somebody. And, and I would be hard pressed to think that there would be any vet that would shut you down. There might be a few. I've, I've heard of a few naysayers that are like, don't go into vet med. Like, I don't, I don't like that, but. <laughs> a couple of those that I've come across, but. I mean, and again, it comes down to those vets that, that know you as an individual, especially, I mean, and again, it's going to take time to build those relationships, but, and again, coming together, that, that fish vet conference was just the, the best thing that I've had in a while because it's That's all really cool. like, hanging out, we're talking about nothing but fish for three days. Like, this is just the most awesome thing <laughs> ever. Um, but again, I can, you know, call them up and I'm not, it's usually not at this point you know, consulting on a case, it's more like, Hey, I'm in this situation. Like we've had to, so we've had a client that is demanding that we treat their fish over a picture on the internet, which has, has required us to get lawyers involved. And we're like, we can't, like, it's literally a law in California that we cannot break. And he's insisting like, I need to see this law. I need to talk to your lawyer. It's like, what is going on? So I can call up my friends like, hey, we have this fruit case that's just like thinks he's like knows everything about how veterinary medicine works. And they're like, oh yeah, we've totally had that before. And even though it doesn't resolve anything, just talking to somebody who's had that similar experience just validates that I'm not crazy. Like this is just right. a situation yeah. that I'm, I'm well, and it, and it will end and it'll get better and you'll get through it. Like it, it really does help to have support. I mean, I say that all the time and that's why I do this coaching thing is because I want to be your support. And so if somebody's really interested in fish medicine, then now you're going to be their support. <laughs> so tell I'm me, here to, just, go ahead. I'm here to help. If, even if it's just like random fish questions, like I have this case coming in, like, what do I need to do? Like, we can walk you through all of that. It's not a big deal. Oh, I'm so excited about that. So because I'm ignorant about fish medicine and I want to learn, tell me a little bit about how it all works. Like, are you treating people's koi and their koi ponds? Are you treating their aquarium fish, saltwater, freshwater? Like kind of tell me in general what you're doing. Cause I just think it's fascinating. 
Yeah, so we see all different kinds of fish. Um, about 99% of our clients are going to be either koi, goldfish, or betta fish. So the little tiny ornamental ones. Yeah, um, the betas. That's fascinating. The ones they keep in yeah. the little tiny bowls. <laughs> yeah. I know, I that's bad. So about 80% of our practice is actually koi, which are big outdoor goldfish, essentially. They're all they're Yeah, all they're cool. So, I mean, the biggest thing with them is they're in a big pond outside. And the last time the owners actually like put hands on them was when they were coming home from the store years and years and years ago. And when it comes to fish, um, I mean, you're talking essentially about an underwater horse. So they have that same prey mentality that they think something's coming along to eat them at every second of the day. But the water really plays a critical part in their overall health. So the air that we breathe is obviously directly linked to our health, but if you super concentrate that into a water medium, it spreads diseases, it spreads parasites. Um, it's just a kind of a bigger picture look at fish being both a herd species and an individual species. So when I'm saying doing an assessment, first off, I start with you know walking through the pond or the tank and making sure you know the filtration is properly maintained how often they're feeding, what kind of food they're feeding, how they do their maintenance. So like a lot of the history questions that you ask, you know, a cat or a dog, you got your same list, like any vomiting, diarrhea, I don't even remember the third one anymore, um, coughing, that's it. Coughing, <laughs> so yeah. A, yeah, so there's a list of fish questions that, yeah, that you just get in the habit of, of getting good at. And after that, we'll do the water quality testing, which is a big important component because obviously if your water is not healthy, they're going to be stressed out and that leads to chronic stress, which leads to decreased immune function. And since you're a fish living in a toilet, all sorts of environmental bacteria can come and invade your system. Yeah. So after we do the water quality, um, I'm actually going to go catch the fish, take them out and put them in a bucket with some sedation. Um, so catching fish is one of those things that you never think about when you're say going out to a pond fall. But again, since I worked in an aquarium for a long period of time, I am insanely good at catching fish. And I do well, it with well a lot of fish it. that you want, because I'm sure that's part of it too. It's like when somebody brings me a cage full of budgies and they're like, that's yeah. the one right there you got to catch. It's harder when they're all in there, right? Yeah. So being able to catch that one specific fish is, is sometimes the hardest part of my, and the one thing that amazes the owner is like, oh, you got them out in like 10 seconds. It's like, yeah, what did you expect me to do? Just sit here and like look at them for half an hour? Yeah. Um, and then usually when they'll come out, I usually, I use um, a chemical sedative in the water because again, prey animals, they're big, slippery torpedoes, especially these big koi. So giving them a little sedation mellows them out. And I'm really able to look at all sides of them. Um, and then we'll usually collect um, skin mucus and gill samples to look at under the microscope. And this will give us a better idea of if there's any parasites, look at the gills for any, you know, issues with the water quality, any dietary issues. And then the fish can go back into their home environment, wake up, you know, happy. With the betas in particular, a lot of times that comes down to just simple husbandry issues, which I'm sure is very common with all the exotic species as well. You know, you see all these pictures on the internet and Instagram and all that of this fish, like in this tiny container with all these plants and whatnot, and then his tail's all torn up. Like, well, yeah, like you're swimming in, in a ball gown, like a cool ball gown that's going to rip no matter what. <laughs> So yeah. you got to, 
and a filter and not too much stuff in there, and most betas will do just fine. So for today, for example, I have a 10,000-gallon koi pond, and then I have two little betas that were recently rescued that, you know, have, you know, they've been sitting in this. The little tiny round bowl that you see them in at the store. So, so thankfully, you know, some, some warm water, a good diet, some nice filtration fixes 90% of the cases. Yeah, um, it's kind of go- like reptiles and other exotics. A lot of it is the husbandry. And if you can fix that, that's, you know, a good chunk of the battle. Absolutely. Very similar. Yeah. Well, that's, so that would be something that would be fairly easy for most of us veterinarians to learn. It's just learning it about a different species. I I always talk to people that don't do exotics and they're like, oh, it's too hard. It's too hard. It's like, well, it really isn't because it's, it's almost the same as cats and dogs. You just have to understand the differences and the way they're designed and also their husbandry. And then once you get that down, then it's the same. Yeah, then, I mean, a lot of your medicine comes down to just correcting simple husbandry issues. Because people, I mean, you don't take the how to take care of your pet, you know, other than one sheet. When you pick them up from the pet store, it's like, here you go, enjoy. Right. And it doesn't doesn't work out best for the pet usually. No, it does not. So how often do you end up doing surgery on fish? Um. So a lot of the times, most common surgery that I'm doing these days is eye surgery or enucleations. So especially with the outdoor koi, they tend to get um, chromatophoromas on their pigment cell tumors on their corneas. And if they kind of extend out of the eye a little bit, the fish, when they're swimming, they can feel something's tugging, like something's up here. So they'll go to try to knock it off, which Mm. obviously if it's a eye is just going to cause this big nasty basically root for infection so simplest thing to do with those guys is just take the eye out and they do just fine with one eye i've done double enucleations on some fish they do just fine that's crazy um, they a great sense of smell and a specialized organ called the lateral line along their side this is how they can feel vibrations in the water and they can kind of know where their friends are next to them um, doing open salomic surgery. So fish don't have thoraxes and abdomens. They just have the, you know, the one big per- compartment known as a coelom. Um, koi in particular are prone to what I suspect are gonadal sarcomas. And these are really hard to detect when they're small because in their belly, it's not going to look that much different until the tumor starts, you know, extending to the side or outside their body some way. And unfortunately at that stage, it, it's too late. And, you know, I'm, we have an ultrasound that you can put on a fish and you can see how much of the I was just going to ask you happens. that. Do you ultrasound them? <laughs> yeah. Found in radiographs. Um, I got it here all in my car. Awesome. Um, so we do ultrasounds and it's, you know, it's more than 50%. I really don't want to put this fish through surgery just because, you know, there's not, there's going to be a decreased prognosis with having that much of your salomic cavity compromised. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it sounds like really a fun thing to do because you're go, you're mostly going then. Is it mostly mobile or do people bring you mobile. fish? It's all mobile? No, I, yeah. So I'd much rather go to the fish because it's a lot less stressful for them. And obviously if I'm doing the capture, it goes a lot faster than the owner is trying to do it. Just, it's just one of those skills you got to practice. So it's like again, touching I'm birds, handling birds. Yeah. 
It's exactly. the same. You practice, you get good at it. Yeah. So it's a lot less stressful and fish do not respond well to stress at all. Um, it just makes things that much worse. So yes, if I can go to them and, you know, just make it quick and then they're back in their home environment, they're not getting, you know, stuck in the back of the car with the radio blasting. So I, I'd much rather go to them. So yes, we are all mobile. Now we had a brick and mortar for about two and a half years and it, it just didn't work well for fish. So yeah. I'm much happier. Them. Yeah. Well, and it makes the business a little easier too. Do you have like a tech that goes with you then? Or do you do it no, all? Actually, no. Okay. Nope, so you just, just kind of have like an office staff and then to do your books and stuff. Yes, they are actually located all the way across the country. Um, they used to be here in California with me, um, but decided to to leave. Just it's it's a kind of expensive place to live, and they were getting ready to have a family, so moved to Tucson for a couple of years, and now they're all the way out in um, New Hampshire. Wow. But they do their jobs 100% remotely. All the phones go to them. They handle all the scheduling. Uh, we just use QuickBooks for all our basic billing. So. As much as I miss them, having them, you know, around to actually like go out to dinner and talk about crazy client issues. Yeah. Um, out a lot better, especially with, with all the COVID nonsense that we have, that they were already remote before all this happened and things pretty much didn't change at all. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Well, it is super fun talking to you about this. Is there something that I didn't ask you that I should have? Because there's things that maybe I don't know to ask. Oh, goodness. Um, so again, while we kind of did all this outreach is we just had a new book come out, um, a couple weeks ago, and I want to share it as a reference to even people who, you know, might not have their own fish. It just goes through all of the silly myths that I've heard specifically to koi keeping. So the book is called how to kill your koi. And of course it's ironic that a veterinarian wrote specifically with a title about how to kill your fish. But I put it together as a reference, mostly for my own clients, but for anyone out there who just wants to know more about some of the silly, ridiculous things that I hear about fish and how a lot of that thinking is incorrect. So there's one chapter on, oh, my water looks fine. Like, I don't need to test it. It's like, well, what can you, what can you tell about the chemical compound from your water by like looking? Go ahead, take a drink it. of it. Let's see. <laughs> how important it is to test your water chemistry for mm -hmm. an animal that lives and also has a chapter on veterinary care for koi and what I, what services that any veterinarian, uh, me specifically, can perform and why it's necessary and why, you know, this is something that we need veterinarians for. We need vets that, you know, they don't have to know everything about koi, but you need to know, you know, how to do the basics. And once you have your, you know, little fish on a piece of paper with all the diagnostics, you can pass it on to somebody else and they'll help you interpret it. Right. Yeah. So how do they get this book? Where do they go to your website or? Um, we have it listed on our, um, it is up on Amazon and Barnes oh. and Noble and basic platforms. Um, there is an electronic version or you can get the print version. And I wish I had a copy here in my car, but I just gave away <laughs> my last one. All right. Well, we'll go check it out and look it up. That's cool. So if somebody wants to learn more about your practice or they have a fish they want to talk to you about or whatever, um, tell me how, tell them how to get a hold of you. Um, so the best way to get a hold of me is to first go on our website. So it's 
catfishvet.com. So CA short for California. Um, we also bought catfishvet.com because so many people were getting confused. Um, so <laughs> if you there's an aquatic medicine tab on the top bar. Um, that goes over how I got into fish medicine. It has a bunch of resources for people who want to find more training programs. Um, it has our online classes up there. Um, I also highly recommend that they check out the American Association of Fish Veterinarians at fishvets.org. Um, especially if you're a student, um, we have a very active student subcommittee that is just looking to have more students participate. And it's great just to you know, talk to other students who you know are interested in Again, all different types of fish things. Yeah, because um, if you say really you're interested in fish, they'll look at you crazy, right? <laughs> it's good to know that people are into that. That's what people would say when I said I wanted to do birds. They'd be like, oh, why do you want to do that? So yeah, that's yeah, cool. I, remember, I have a very memorable experience when I was in my small animal medicine rotation of a resident actually laughing at me to my face when I told her I wanted to be a fish vet. That's not cool. Do you remember who it was? So you can go back and put it in her face. I, I don't remember. It's probably the best that I've known. I like. I remember her laugh. I don't remember. Like I don't remember her name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you proved her wrong. Exactly. And that's what that's what we all can do, right? That's a a big lesson to take away from this podcast is do what you're passionate about, and it it'll work out. Like if you got to work hard at it, but it's it will come. And I think that's that's a big lesson that they can learn from you. Yeah, you'll make a ton of mistakes. Like I've made so I've wasted so much money and made so many mistakes, but it's getting to where I want it to be. It's right. not it's not there yet, but it's it's definitely getting there. Well, and I would argue once it gets there that you're gonna want to change it. Oh you yeah. Oh, like I, I I was constantly my practice was great, and then I'd be like, mm, but it could be better. Like I, I think that's a good that's a good thing to think about is it's okay if if it's not exactly where you want it right now you can keep getting it there you don't have to quit so my i had one big goal when i was starting out like it'll it'll work if i get it to 10 years well now i'm at 10 years and i'm like i don't know what to do next um so i actually have a, a coach of my own who's been helping me kind of like okay this is like I have all these ideas and she like can take all these big picture ideas and kind of shrink them down to something that I could actually, you know, work on in smaller steps. Yeah. And that, that's the beauty of, co of coaches and getting coached is that your brain has all of this stuff in it. And it's so hard when you're in there to sort it out. But if you can have some, if you can show somebody else what's going on, they can be like, oh, I can help you sort that out. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm really glad you have a coach. That's great. Yeah. So anybody out there that's feeling overwhelmed, just get yourself a, a good coach or, or even a mentor, like you said, like your doctor and my doctor that mentored me, you know, that's what you need to do. Well, it's been so pleasant talking to you. I really appreciate your time. It's been so much fun. And if anybody has any questions for um, Dr. Sanders and wants to know more about fish, reach out to her website, reach out to me and um, I'll get in touch with her and we'll get your questions answered. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really yeah, appreciate it. So this is Dr. Jesse Sanders and um, look her up and learn about fish. I'm going to, I want to read this koi book. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I'll ever have a koi, but I want to learn about it now. It'd be fun. Yeah. Any last words, anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, 
just thank you very much for, for having me, and I hope this inspires other people to kind of think outside the box when it comes to, to veterinary medicine, and please don't ignore the fish. They need your help, too. It absolutely will. I, I'm sure that there's going to be some new budding fish vets coming out of this podcast. I, I know it's going to happen. Well, thank you so awesome. much. Everybody have a beautiful week, and uh, get out there and learn about fish. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Bye everyone, have a good week.